You're listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 12. And we're going to be reading verses 20 on. You'll find this on page 921 of the Pew Bible. And we're reading together Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 25. Acts 12, 20 to 25, hear the word of God. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. So Herod Agrippa had been persecuting the church. He wanted to put Peter to death. He had already executed James and enjoyed the support from the Jewish people in so doing. But while Peter was in prison, as you know, an angel appeared and enabled him to escape. The church had been praying, and God intervened to deliver the apostle. But that was not the only way that he worked in this chapter. Peter was out of prison, but Herod Agrippa was still on the loose, and the king left Judea for Caesarea, according to Josephus, in disgust because he had lost his prisoner. And what we're going to find in this text is that God intervenes in various ways. Proverbs 11 says, If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? You see, when Christians need discipline, God visits them with chastisement such as his fatherly care for them, that he will not let them persist in sin. Thank God for that. And if that is true of saints, then how much more is that true that the wicked will be punished? They often sin not out of weakness, not out of ignorance, but as the Old Testament describes it, with a high hand. Sinning with a high hand. That's what we see in this text. King Herod was angry with Tyre and Sidon, and he contemplated going to war with them. We don't know the reason for the hard feelings, but it was serious. They depended on Herod for their daily food, so the situation looked bleak indeed. 
And all the people approached him in submission, hoping to avoid war. They even bribed Blastus, his chamberlain or his right-hand man, to use his influence in assuaging the king's anger. Because Herod was a proud man. And this only swelled his already inflated ego. A festival was appointed, and the day arriving, he addressed the citizens, and according to the historian Josephus, the crowd that gathered was full of important people, all the nobles of his kingdom. And Herod arrives in mid-morning wearing a garment of silver. When he came out, the sun's rays reflected so brilliantly that it was almost too bright for their eyes. And in these magnificent royal robes, he then delivered this public oration as the people shouted to him the voice of a God and not of a man. And Herod didn't rebuke them, didn't reject their false worship. And we can imagine him strutting in his splendor and soaking it all in. He welcomed the praise, even though it was blasphemy, and he was robbing God. So an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a truly dreadful disease, and I think the judgment fit the crime. He claimed deity, so he was devoured by the vilest of creatures. He was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Now, we're all going to be eaten by worms, but we're going to be gone. He was eaten by worms as he was there. In the midst of his pride and persecution, Herod was struck down. Again, according to Josephus, this is what he said when he was afflicted. I, whom you call a God, am commanded presently to depart this life. And thus the misery of sin caught up with him and he perished. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The unbeliever's own wicked conduct will be the cause of his destruction. It is the inevitable consequence of a person's sin and guilt. The very thing in which the sinner delights will become his ruin. It spells destruction of the body, and if he persists in it, it'll be the destruction of his soul. And let's not miss the contrast. Herod died... But the word of God increased and multiplied. So at Herod's death, the gospel gained ground and kept advancing, just like seed that's sown and sprouts up. The persecutor had been taken in judgment and the church flourished. Isn't that always the way it is? The power of Rome being no match for the spirit of Christ. And he does not forsake his saints. And he makes the church invincible. You know, one of the worst of sins is spiritual pride. That's what filled Herod's heart. Pride is the great sacrilege. It robs God of his glory, and of all the sins, I'd venture to say that's the worst. It's the worst. It's the sin against which God sets himself in absolute opposition. He says, and I quote, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He opposes all sin, of course, but against this one, 
He stands in particular opposition. This was the sin that turned angels into devils and turned men into sinners. It was for Lucifer's pride that he and a third of the angels were cast out of heaven. It was Adam's pride that led to his expulsion from the Garden of Eden. And the entire human race, you and I included, were ruined when man tried to be like God. That's pride. It fills my heart, sadly, and it fills yours too. So Herod is one in a long line of those who exhibit the proud anti-Christian spirit. He unlawfully welcomed praises that belong exclusively to God. And for robbing the Lord of his glory, Herod was smitten by the angel. How wicked it is to usurp the divine honors. How wicked to accept the praises that are due to God. This was the sin of Nebuchadnezzar, you might remember. This was the sin of Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. And this was the sin of Adam. There's a saying that goes like this. So far as any man is proud, he is akin to the devil and a stranger to God. Do we believe that? Do I believe that in my proudest moments? How many times have we heard somebody say, I'm a self-made man? How foolish is that statement? For example, where would he be without his mother? No one can do it all by himself. Each one of us owes thanks and praise to the ultimate one who deserves it. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive, says the Apostle Paul? If then you received it, why then do you boast as if you did not receive it? Because you see, the more that we have, the more we're indebted to God's grace, because everything we have is from God. And everything we have is for God. How foolish are we sinners? Can man strut around against infinite power? Think about it. Who can withstand God when he resists the proud and calls us to account? He commissioned this humble worm or these humble worms for which King Herod was no match. Ate him up. Do you know something? In hell, there are two attributes that God will make wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So there the apostle tells us that to the far reaches of eternity, he'll exhibit his wrath and his power. So he wields not only a sharp two-edged sword, but he has a powerful arm. And therefore, how great is that vengeance that is executed by the strength of God. And you know something? Our God takes special notice of and he is much displeased with the sin of having any other God. You shall have no other gods before me. That command enjoys pride of place among ten as being the very first. You shall have no other gods before me. 
It requires of all people that they know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and their God, because there is no other. There are many false gods, but there's only one true God. And as people who are made in his image, we are bound to know and to acknowledge him. He's the only proper object of worship. He's worthy of praise. That's why we sing, even when we don't feel like it. We sing because he's worthy. Herod was guilty of the most heinous of sins. It was against the majesty of God. Do you remember Hophni and Phinehas? Do those names ring a bell? Hophni and Phinehas, sons of the high priest Eli. They were priests who profaned the majesty of God. They would go to the tabernacle and they would embezzle the sacrifices. And they would, at the front of the tabernacle, they would commit immorality at the very entrance of the tent of meeting. And so Eli says to his sons, If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And he did. And then God rebuked Eli. Why do you honor your sons above me? Because Eli had never rebuked his son. Every sin, even the least we're taught, deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and the life to come. Every sin. But you know something? There are some sins in themselves, and by reason of some aggravations, that are far more heinous in God's sight. Herod's sin was against the express letter of the law. First commandment. The first one we learn. And it was immediately against God himself and his attributes and his worship. And he sinned as a public person before those whom he would lead astray. And he allowed himself to be worshipped as God. And it was heinous. You know, the atheist and the idolater are both fools of the most serious kind. They're blind. They can't see the glory of God. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. They don't want to know the truth. And apart from the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, they're never going to acknowledge God. Oh, I know. On the final day, their knees will bow. And their tongues will confess that Jesus is Lord, but they'll do it only because they're compelled. The truths of God are folly to them and spiritual things are irrelevant to them. And only if the Holy Spirit in his mercy illuminates their darkened minds will they ever receive light. The unregenerate man or woman will not believe the gospel and they cannot grasp it. Paul says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, won't accept it. Because they're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. So you see what he's saying. The things of Christ, the eternal things that we talk about every Sunday, they're spiritually discerned. It's the Holy Spirit. 
So the natural man, the unconverted person, receives nothing by faith. He's under the power of corruption. He cannot and he will not bend the knee. And this renders him guilty of the most abominable and reprehensible of sins. Jesus said to the devil, you remember, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So there we have the moral law, the very first commandment. It binds us to worship the true and living God because there is no other. There cannot be another. That'd be a real contradiction, wouldn't it? How can you have two infinite beings that are distinct? You can't. The definition of an infinite being is he's the only one. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no God. And the creation is a constant witness to the deity and the power of the true God. He created this world out of nothing, speaking it, spoke it into existence. And the universe, we're told, is upheld by the word of his power, like a king sitting upon his throne, nodding here to do that and nodding there for him to do that. And though mankind knows God, he refuses to honor him as God or give him thanks. Did you ever wonder about that? I'm not talking out of two sides of my mouth. Mankind cannot but help to know God. There's no escaping it. What can be known about him is plain to everyone, regardless of what the unbelieving scientist will tell you. It's plain. It's obvious. The heaven above declares it, and the earth beneath confirms it. And every human being who's fearfully and wonderfully made proclaims it. And mankind is the recipient of innumerable blessings, life and existence and everything, because in him we live and move and have our being He's a heavenly benefactor, and we depend on him for everything, each moment of every day. And Paul says there is no God but one. So I say to you, dear friends, how tragic it is for anyone to have eyes but cannot see and to have ears but cannot hear. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, they're now children of wrath. And against all his ungodliness, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Deep down, he knows there's a God. Deep down, he knows that he's going to give an account. And that's frightening. And I wonder if this is true about somebody here. Somebody who's not yet received Christ into their hearts. In your mind and heart, other things are more important. And you know it. But you're unwilling to put God first, and right now you have an opportunity to change that. You can turn from the same evil that Herod committed, and you can receive Christ Jesus into your heart, because he says, all who come to me I will in no wise cast out. Otherwise, according to Scripture, you're inexcusable. You should know God. You ought to acknowledge God. But so far, your thinking is futile. 
and your foolish heart has been darkened. And yet the Spirit is able to open blind eyes and to unstop deaf ears, and all you have to do is ask him. Jesus said to his disciples, Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Do you know something? The humblest believer in this room today is more blessed than the greatest unbelieving scholar that the world has to offer. Because that humble believer sees the truth. He hears the master's voice and he knows the only true God. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God and whoever has seen him has seen the Father. And thank God that he has fulfilled the law and kept the first commandment on our behalf. The good news is that God clothes believers with the righteousness of Christ. So let's beware of breaking the first commandment by robbing God of his glory. Because he'll intervene to uphold his justice just as much as he'll intervene to extend his mercy. He does both, you know. He intervened out of mercy to deliver Peter from prison. He intervened for the sake of justice to punish Herod for his sin. And as Herod proves... God is sometimes swift and severe in his judgments. And he does this, I'm convinced, to maintain a reverence for his holiness. The psalmist in Psalm 9 describes it like this. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. That's how he made himself known. Because by his judgments, he was able to distinguish himself from the false gods. The flood, Sodom and Gomorrah, Jericho, the plagues upon Egypt. Reflecting on that, Moses writes, on their gods, the Lord executed judgments. And these things point to an almighty, invisible, sovereign power. And in Herod's case, I'm Sad to say, it was in the very act of sin that God struck him down. So let's choose this day to be faithful and fervent in our commitment to him. We witnessed baptisms this morning. That baptism that we saw, it places upon the party baptized the obligation to be holy and only the Lord's. We witnessed public professions this morning. Same obligation, to be holy and only the Lord's. And as the Spirit of Christ enables us to do that, God will take special notice. I wonder how many of us remember Malachi 3.16. Probably not a verse that you've memorized. But, very important, this is what Malachi 3.16 says. A book of remembrance was written before God of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Not that God needs to be reminded, but to assure us that nothing will be forgotten. Ancient kings had books of remembrance containing services rendered. Remember Mordecai? He exposed treason and it was recorded in the Chronicles of Ahasuerus. And in the same way, God remembers our service and devotion, and he never forgets. And in the final judgment, and it's going to come, in the final judgment, upon review of that book of remembrance, he'll say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Well done when you stood up front and professed me before men. Well done when you had your children baptized and devoted to me. Well done when you came to worship when you didn't want to. And finally, let's enjoy the freedom that we obtain when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you realize that the idolater lives in fear? He's always terrified of what lurks around the corner. Dangerous powers threatening him on every side. Fate, chance, fortune. Gods that are capricious and arbitrary and vindictive. And he never knows what's going to happen. And ignorance and superstition has led to all kinds of crazy rituals throughout the centuries. Contrast that with the Christian's devotion to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All imagined dangers fade. The truth of providence brings peace. God's in control. No matter what happens, God's in control. And so Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. He's freed us from guilt, punishment, and every superstitious fear. He loves us deeply. And he loves us eternally. And he says that perfect love casts out fear. There is no fearful expectation of judgment. All we have is an anticipation of heaven. And that's freedom. No fear. No anxiety. No need to dread the future, because he says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a promise. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for revealing your will to us, particularly in the first commandment. We're sorry that we haven't kept it as we should, but we're thankful that the Lord Jesus has done so on our behalf. And we also thank you for the freedom that we enjoy in knowing you through Christ. And if there be any here who have yet received Christ and bent the knee, Father, we pray that the Spirit would so work in mind and heart that they would come to know the joy and freedom that are available only in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.